Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hey Yeti, what's shaking? Yeah, I did see that Mechatel was crowdfunding on Kickstarter now. I love that book. I was in backer for the single issues myself. That whole creative team is great. I love Fernando Pinto's artwork, and it reminds me so much of hanging out with my friends in middle school and playing Nintendo, well, minus the giant mutant bugs from outer space swooping in and trying to take over part. Wait, you can make a transformation sound? Who knew? Yeah, that power gauntlet is cool. Whatever Derek touches can transform him into an alien annihilating mech. Even a hot dog cart, too. Too funny. Where can people go to back it? They can head on over to Kickstarter and search for Mechaton, M-E-C-H-A-T-O-N, or just check the show notes. I'll make it easy for them. It runs all of February, and it's awesome that everything is done and looks like a really quick turnaround for backers. And that exclusive Jason Muir cover is awesome. He's doing Spider-Man stuff now. Did you just really say Fuyo? You gotta get off TikTok, man. Hello, and welcome to New Comic Book Yeti's Cryptic Creator Corner. I am one of your hosts, Jimmy Gasparro, and um, I am very excited for the guest I have tonight because I, I, everyone who's listened to this podcast, I've probably mentioned him before because he's, I think, my favorite comic book writer. So this is going to be oh a God, lot like. So nice. This, this is going to be a lot like that uh, Chris Farley sketch where he interviews Paul McCartney and just reminds him of all the cool stuff he's done. Um, but yeah, I uh, <laughs> no. But the writer of uh, Mega Man, Mister Miracle, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, um, then more recently, Animal Pound, and the comic book we're here to talk about today, uh, Helen of Windhorn, which comes out from Dark Horse. It's going to be March thirteenth, twenty twenty four. You're going to be able to get it. So as we record this, it's a few weeks away. And hey, uh, right before my forty uh, fifth birthday, so you do yourself a favor. Happy get me, birthday! Get your, Happy birthday! Thank you get. Get yourself a present and uh, go in and uh, pick up Helena Windhorn because I absolutely love it. Art by Bill Quasively. Can't wait to talk about it. Mateus Lopez, Clayton Cowles. But please, please welcome to the podcast for the first time, Tom King. Tom, how you what, doing? What an absolute pleasure. Thank you for all the kind things you just said. Uh, thank you for doing this podcast. Thank you for getting the word out on comics. It means absolute world. Um, well, my, my comics are weird. I write weird ass comics and nobody buys them for what they are. They buy them because someone recommended them. So I literally are putting food on my kid's table and I. Well, I was trying to think, uh, you know, when we had locked this in and, you know, I was preparing and I try, you know, I go, I read the comic that we're going to talk about Helen of Windhorn and I, I go back and look through some other stuff. And I, I really, I've, as a fan, I've, I've read a lot of, your comics and I was going back and revisiting some favorites and I was trying to remember what what it was like what was the first thing that was like oh I really like what this guy is saying um and I think it was probably Omega Man I think was the first one Omega I Man read. I was not I Omega would not have put Man. any money on Omega Man if you're yeah. saying that that was the well, worst selling comic at both Marvel and DC um, <laughs> well I I know that I, I loved Mr. Miracle. I mean, I was a huge fan, but I'm like, that wasn't the first thing 
you know, because I recommended that and given that out to so many people and said, oh, you, you got to read this. Um, I would give it out to friends as like, uh, you know, the first time parent, you know, like a friend of mine just had a kid and I'm like, do you like comics? Yes, yeah. It doesn't matter. Here, I'm getting you this, Mr. Miracle. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think Omega Men was actually the, the the first thing. And then from there, I went on and read Vision and read Sheriff of Baghdad and, you know, and most of the stuff since. But um, so, yeah, my favorite uh, my favorite Omega Men story is um, while I was writing Omega Men, I got the Batman game uh, from when Scott left. And we did sort of this like YouTube kind of announcement thing where a bunch of DC creators got on it. And it was like a live on YouTube and like Jim. Jim Lee and Dan DiDio, who was the head of DC Comics at the time, was doing the introductions. And I can't even remember what I said, but I made some joke about Dan, some sort of, you know, we could give each other shit. It's kind of our relationship. So I gave him some shit. And 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 and, and Dan, being you know a classic New Yorker, turns to me to give me shit, and he's like, Tom, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you on our least selling book if I hear another fucking word out of you. And I was like, Dan, I'm already on your least selling book. <laughs> and he gave me this look, like we were about to go live with him announcing I was getting taken over Batman. He's like, What? You're on my least selling book and you're getting my He's like, I can see the regret in his eyes. And someone's like, Camera, go. You know, and you're like, what? <laughs> Oh, man. Um, yes, I, That's a good story. I, I adore Omega Man with Barnaby Bagenda at, on art. Um, I, I, I love that little book that, that, that could or at least tried to could. um yeah thank you and thank you for picking it up i appreciate it yeah i uh i think for me i just i i thought it was uh complicated it's not 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 the right word for it but i thought complex in a way that i don't know i i just didn't think other books with superheroes on the cover had been that i had you know seen in a while um you know not i mean I, we can talk about classics and look at like Watchmen or something like that but like I just hadn't seen anything like recent that was being done right then that was like Omega Men and uh yeah I guess it was kind of off to the races from there yeah Omega Men was very much me sort of you know in the beginning of my career when I was you know the first thing you do is you copy people and you kind of find your own voice and there I was very much leaning into sort of copying Alan Moore but the, the running joke with my wife while I was writing it as I would say like who Omega's the Omega Men, which just makes no sense at all. Um, <laughs> uh, but and I mean, but that book—I mean, in some ways, you know—that was kind of the beginning of my career because it was canceled after issue three because of the low sales. And then Twitter, when Twitter could still do wonderful things, kind of rebelled against that. And I was just a baby comic book writer; I had no gigs. And Jim Lee called me. I remember I was like taking care of my kids at the park, and I was like, "Oh, go play with this little slide," and because Jim Lee is calling me, like, "Oh my god, yeah." And Jim's like, I see people like you on Twitter. Uh, I guess we'll keep this book going. <laughs> I was like, oh my! By the way, it's the worst Jim Lee impression I've ever done. Uh, but but uh, and and that sort of made me like a rebel. You know, like people are like, oh my god, Tom's rebelling against the system. But mostly, I was just begging to not be canceled. Uh, and but yeah, so in a, in a little ways, that was the start of everything. Started with Omega Men being uncanceled, which is a wonderful little miracle to have. Yeah, that's thanks awesome. to the fans. I'm, I'm glad. I'm 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 glad it wasn't. I'm glad it wasn't canceled. Glad we got to read it. Um, yeah. But to turn to to Helen of Windhorn, it's a new creator-owned book with Dark Horse, um, Bill Quisibly. Yes. Uh, it's first off, I have to say, it is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it's, oh my god, uh, Supergirl, yeah. Woman of Tomorrow was great. This, I I I feel like there's there's certainly similarities, you know, with Bill Quis's work. But I mean, it is, it, it's just like 
the aesthetic of that kind of like 1930s from Texas uh, where it starts. It, it, I mean, the intricacies of the house, um, there's just so much to get absolutely lost in in this book with the artwork. And, and Mateus Lopez's colors are just, I mean, it's gorgeous. And that's paper on pencil. It's not digital. She's actually doing ink and pencil with this thing. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I, I can't I can't speak highly enough of uh, Bilkis's art on, on, on this entire book. I mean, she's been working on it, you know, on and off for about two and a half years now. Um, it's been sort of a passion project we've been putting together. And uh, I mean, w- w- Supergirl didn't, well, most, much like Omega Man, Supergirl didn't sell very well. Uh, it sell, it's, it's my best selling thing by far now because of the movie. Uh, but at the time, it, it wasn't really selling, but it felt like it was clicking. You know, the difference, like, I was like, this is something special. It felt special what we were making. It, it, it felt like something I was super proud of, and I couldn't believe the art. I couldn't believe how good she was. And when it ended, I just said, anything you want to do, you know, if you want to do any character at DC, I can talk someone into something. If you want to do any indie thing, I was like, hell, you want to go to Marvel? We'll find some Fantastic Four. I don't care. What, like, what's, whatever you want. I will, I, I will write words for your pictures. And, and she sent me um, sort of a, a vision board of what she wanted. And it was sort of for fantasy stuff and, and people in the 30s. And, and, uh, and she wanted to do an indie thing. And I mostly wanted to do a, a more Supergirl thing. And sort of that all combined to become what Helen is. Yeah, so I mean, the story is Helen and uh, is a 16 year old girl and her, I guess, newly hired governess um, has to go to yeah. Texas to drag her back to her grandfather's house. And, uh, you know, after a, a terrible situation with her, her father, and now she's going to live with her, her grandfather in this what 137 or 173 roomed estate, which is it's seemingly a, a, a totally different lifestyle than, than Helen is clearly uh, accustomed to. Um, it, with having that, I, those like a fa- fan fantasy type of story and those like 1930 elements, like what were the, the influences to then take that and push it, you know, in, in this direction? At the time, I was my—I mean, I get—I get kind of kind of obsessions, you know, where I kind of go down holes and I I start looking at things and 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 back and forth. And at the time, I was I was getting obsessed with with like gothic literature and gothic novels and how popular gothic novels were, especially in this, you know. I mean, obviously they were popular in like the mid nineteenth century, and then they even got more popular sort of in the in the, in the pulp novels of of, of mid century America. Where there are literally, if you look them up, there are hundreds and hundreds of pulp novels that have the same picture um, on, on them, which is like a, a, a pretty girl running away from a gothic mansion was kind of the, the, the term. If, if people want to know what, what sort of gothic means, like what like Wuthering Heights is kind of the, the you know, um, platonic ideal. But the sort of the best way to think about it for my generation is Beauty and the Beast, uh, the cartoon from, mm-hmm. from, from when we were kids. Like right. the idea, the idea that right. there is a a usually a female character who's taken to a house that is very strange to her and she's trapped there for whatever reason. And the house starts to reveal mysteries to it. And part of the mystery is who owns the house. And then there's usually a sort of romantic element between the owner of the house and the person as she sort of discovers the mystery. The beauty and the beast is a perfect example of that genre. Um, and so that was a, that was a, 
bizarre genre that I was getting into. And I reread Wuthering Heights and I was like, man, I'm, I'm into this. And then at the same time, I was also becoming obsessed with Conan comic books. And uh, I, I, I went back, I was reading like, you know, the original Roy Thomas, uh, Windsor Smith comics, and then the John Buscema stuff. And I was loving it. And I was like, where is this coming from? And, uh, and so then I started reading, you know, the original Conan. And then I started reading how Conan got created, about the creator. And, uh, and many people don't know this, the creator of Conan was like, you know, he was a pulp novelist. He, he just, he wrote whatever he possibly could. He was not famous in his time. Conan was a popular story, but it wasn't like super, it wasn't like it is today where it was almost a genre defining thing. You know, Conan is almost half of fantasy. Right. The other half yeah. being sort of Lord of the Rings. It's kind of those two things collide where our modern fantasy universe is. Right. Yeah. I, Robert Howard was just like writing whatever he could to get paid for like yeah. weird tales or some That's magazine right, yeah. that had that name on it. Right. Yeah. If they want him to write a Western, he's writing a Western. If they want him to write this, but he just, but he invented a whole genre in doing that desperation, which I love. But then when he was about 30 years old, and there's a whole movie about this. Um, very strange. No one can explain it. He was very close to his mother. His mother died in her deathbed. After she passed away, he walked to his car, opened the glove compartment, got a gun, shot himself in the head. And that's how he died. Um, wow. And no, no one kind of understands sort of how this modern creative genius, why it sort of ended that way. And so I, I combined all three of those elements I just took about the sort of the, the, the gothic novel, um, the origin story of, of this kind of suicide novelist, pulp fiction novelist, and then the Conan stories themselves. And that became Helen of Windhorn, which is a story about um, a, a young woman who's 16. Her father is a pulp novelist a, 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 who's um, writes stories that are Conan-like. And he kills himself, and she doesn't know why. And her grandfather comes to sort of take her away, and she's taken, again, to a big house with lots of mysteries in it. And what she eventually discovers is, is there's a connection between her grandfather's house and the actual Conan stories and the fantasy element. Um, that is a very long pitch for this wonderful little book. <laughs> but I, I have a much shorter pitch that, that, I, that I think is much more important and, and, and the, the thing I want most people to remember. If you like Supergirl, if, if that's like your thing, um, and, and I love that book and, and, and it's become more and more special to me every year, this is more of that. It's very along the themes. If you got to the end of Supergirl and you're like, I want more, this is by the writer, the artist, the colorist, even the letter of Supergirl. Um, it's told in a very similar fashion. It's, a, it's about a very sort of similar story. It's, I, I'm the kind of guy when I read a great book and I want to get the next book and it's not there, I get pissed. And so this was some, from the beginning envisioned as if you got to the end of Supergirl and you were like, man, that's awesome. I want to have that experience again. I want to give you two. So it's just Supergirl plus more is the better pitch than the long artistic artsy farsy shit I just said. Oh, well, I like both. I like both pitches. And this, uh, but uh, the you something you just said about, you know, how the story is told. That's kind of what I wanted to ask you about. Cause like I said, I read a couple of things and recently and, and, and caught up on some stuff. And in terms, uh, you know, I was thinking of, like the winning card and um, this uh, Helen of Windhorn and Animal Pound, like some of the stuff you've been writing recently. Um, there was one other that just escaped me that I just read, but um, I always like the idea when I get into something and I feel like it's maybe an unreliable narrator. And the story is being told from like the governess's perspective from Lilith. And 
Um, I, I find it very interesting, like that setup in terms of her being there in the beginning. And it's like a little bit of a flashback. And um, I don't know how reliable yet Lilith is in terms of telling this story. Um, you know, how did you kind of settle on that type of person rather than just telling it like, you know, direct through Helen or some other means? Because I, I noticed in some of your work that you've kind of been doing that recently, telling the story from differing perspectives. Um, which I feel like, you know, something like Batman maybe didn't do, and that could be tough to do, except, you know, maybe certain issues when you do a longer run, but I just noticed it in some of your work and I was wondering if there was something there, if it's just me saying things. No, no, you're, you're definitely seeing, you're, you're definitely seeing sort of me trying to evolve or at least trying to find different ways to present comic books. Um, yeah, I mean, when I was on Batman, I had kind of a rule where I was like, no captions, no, no Batman talking for himself. And, and I, I came into comics at a time when captions had sort of overtaken comics. Um, and I, I don't mean to insult any other writers. I mean, they're, they're fantastic writers. But I was just reading too many comics where it was just there were just useless captions all over the page. They were just the internal monologue. And they would just say what was they would literally tell you what you were looking at, but not in an interesting way. It was very boring. And so when I got to Batman, I was like, you know, you have to bang into you as a writer. Show, don't tell. Show, don't tell. And I was like, I'm not going to tell. I'm going to show. I'm going to I'm going to let my artist lead the, the way on this. Uh, I was I was stealing this from um, an essay I read by JMS uh, when he was on this, his uh, Supreme book, his Squadron Supreme book, which he did without narration. He's like that that sort of freed him to be a better comic book writer because he wasn't relying on the, the narration. He was relying on the pictures and that made him think picture first. Um, so I'm like in my 85 issues or whatever of Batman, you don't go inside Batman's head. Everything has to be presented sort of on the page. And I think that's good advice for young writers. I think young writers can very much lean into the, the narration and forget to do the visual. Um, I used, I used captions on vision. One of my very first things, in it, but um, similar to this, where it was told from a sort of point of view. And then as I've sort of tried to evolve and, and, you know, the older I get, or I don't know, I'm changing or, or looking back. Now I'm, I'm adding captions back into my work in, in, a, in a lot of ways, but I'm still not trying to fall in the trap of making them useless or, or, or terrible. Captions, normally the, their function in a comic is to slow the reader down. Um, you know, like, you know, classic Dark Knight Returns captions, which are kind of like these, you know, you see Batman punching somebody and Frank adds his nose split here. And so rather than just seeing the punch, you, you read the thing. And so it, lets, it, it, it leaves you with the picture for a few moments. And I like my comics to read slower than I used to. I, I like to slow the reader down a little more than I used to. I used to be like my comics, I used to call them like one shit comics. You could read a Tom King comic on the toilet while he took a shit. Fuck, <laughs> you, you were fucking done. Now I'm like, I want two shit comics. I want you to have to, you have to put it down. You got to forget it was there. Your wife or your husband yells at you. Why a fucking comic on the floor? Oh, I'm, I'm in the middle of it. And then you pick it up the next time. So there, there are two shit comics. Okay. Um, but but in, in that quest, I don't want to get boring with the narration. So I always try to find something to challenge me and to make me interested in it. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, this is a classic. They teach you in every literature class. It's like, you know, um, it's called like third person observation to people. But, you know, it, it's used Sherlock Holmes most famously uses this narrative narrative technique where Watson tells the story, even even though Sherlock's the main character, um, you know, in high school, you probably were fucking great Gatsby and Nick tells the story instead of. Right. Gatsby. Sure. Um, yeah. So I, I had used that in Supergirl where I had Ruthie tell the story instead of Supergirl herself. And Ruthie had this such this wonderful, the weird voice where she was talking in this kind of pseudo Western way, but she was a space alien. 
So she was like these weird sentences that had like whoms and looped upon themselves. And, and she would use these sort of three penny words all the time. And I had so much fun doing this. And like I said, from the beginning, the idea was not to like do a record scratch and do something completely different. Like Mitch and I went from war comic to space comic. I wanted to do something that was very much in the genre of superheroes. Like I'm going to use that same technique. I'm going to use the third person. I'm going to use that observational narrator. But instead of it being a young Western girl, I'm going to make it a stuffy a British marm, um, which was in Wuthering Heights. One of the narrators is a stuffy British marm. So I was kind of influenced by the Bronte sisters. Um, and yeah, that's where I started. And as you'll see, as you observed, it's you'll see the narration becomes um, just like you said, sort of. She's telling an impossible story. What, what, what she's saying cannot have happened in the real world. There, there's magic in this story, but her her world is very real. Um, so whether she's lying or not and, and what that means is, is a theme of, this, of the story. And, and you get more and more distance as you get farther along. So the whole thing is about hell and it's about her story, but it's also about stories itself, like all the fucking pretentious indie books that have ever been written in comics. <laughs> I, at least I put some of that shit in there. Oh, well, yeah, that's good. I mean, I like that pretentious shit sometimes. Um, what do you get a fucking do? I was raised on Sandman and I loved it. So there I go. Yeah, I love Sandman too. No, no right? complaints. It's uh, it's it's fantastic. Um, when you when you're doing the script like this with like you know as you get into this issue and I, um, like like halfway in and Helen's like wandering around the house. Like, how descriptive do you get to Bilkus? Uh, Bilkus did in terms of like you know the bedrooms and what everything looks like. Is that so much left up to what like like Bilkus wants to do in terms of creating those rooms or? you have a picture in your head when you're putting it together? Uh, I, I very little. She, she, I'm, I'm leaning on her very heavily. She's like not just like a partner in this. She's the designer of this whole thing. Um, but if you've ever read my scripts, you can read them in, in the Vision hardcover or the, the Sir Miracle hardcover. But they're, they're specific, but they're bare. You know, it's um, man sits on a toilet. Man picks up a comic book. Man reads it. I don't tell you what pictures are in the room, what the toilet looks like, what the man's wearing. Um, I have, well, I, I can't do a lot of things in, in life. Like I'm bad at like basketball or running, um, though, but, uh, of driving I'm, I'm awful at, uh, if I, when I was in the CIA, I was a terrible shot. I was just terrible with the gun. Uh, but I, I have one magic power and that I can see when I write a script, if I know the artist, I can see what the pages will look like. And I kind of know the minimum I need to get them to the place where they're going to draw what it's going to look like. And 90% I'm correct. And, and Bill, cause I've been, you know, I just done Supergirl together. I kind of, I kind of could see exactly what she was going to do. And, and then she did it, but then, I mean, went even farther, you know, like tripled the amount of lines I thought she put in it. Um, so yeah, yeah. It, it's bare minimum. She's, she's, she's holding most of it. It's like, I mean like that, that, that there's a huge splash of the huge Epic mansion. And I think it literally said huge splash of huge epic mansion was probably the panel description. And she took it from there. I, I, you may not know this, but I am the worst artist in the world. I cannot draw. I can't draw a stick figure. I can't draw a straight line. Can't draw a circle. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would never tell an artist, I want you to draw in the background uh, something that looks like this or something. Cause it could be really hard and I would have no idea. I don't know the difference between that thing. So uh i yeah if, if it's if it's not vital to the story it's up to them is my yeah. kind of opinion yeah 
Uh, that splash is gorgeous, by the way. Like the house is amazing, and I love how it's kind of like, you know, set back, and there's just all that greenery, the little creek or, you know, river in the front. It's it's just, yeah, it just sets the scene in terms of what this place is, um, and like this I, world that you're entering. It's gorgeous. This is li- I'm, I have it up on my computer. This is literally what I put. Page nine splash Windhorn House in all its gothic glory. This is the heart of the series. It's a huge mansion that seems like a normal, intricate New England mansion. But there's a touch of fantasy castles to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, <wow. laughs> that's it. That's what she got. That's and she yeah. she created that page. Yeah. And I, I sent her some Incredible. reps of like some houses and crap if you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, no, I was going to, I mean, this is a podcast. It's not a visual medium, but yeah, I have, I have a comic that you drew on the cover and, um, oh God, I'm sorry. I apologize. Yeah, wait, hold on. The time. Well, I'll show no, you. Don't you know, I'll I'll describe it to you, and I'll try not to use too many swear words, and I will use way too many swear words. Ugh, this is horrible anticipation. Just for people who don't know, he's left the panel, and I'm here by myself. Sorry, just for fun. I didn't mean to go away. Coming. No, it's cool. Byron, you'll have to edit that blank space out. No, uh, I yeah. fucking killed it. I had a great monologue. Did you? Did you just take it oh. over? And I missed all of it. It was the my but, most yeah. brilliant observations on just, writing comics you ever. Oh, uh, and I yeah. missed it. You fucking missed it. it was, it was I, I gave away do? the key. I was like, if you write I words without the, the letter I, then they then is that it? it. Yeah, that's it. Just no, this is one of but, this is one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite comics. So, so I had you and Lee Week sign it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the Batman Elmer. Oh, I messed up. But look, he put he put a little fun on there. <laughs> Not funny. <laughs> I Elmer Fudd Lee, Lee put a big silhouette of Batman in the background of Elm of, of Fudd going by. And yeah. I, I like to draw a stupid little face on the silhouette just to piss off, just to make Lee back. Now, Lee, Lee, you know, Lee's near you. He's a, he's another mid-Atlantic guy like us. He doesn't live yeah. too far from you. Oh well, good. Yeah, I like that. Um, I like this area. So I'm um, I'm happy to hear more folks are, are around. Um I got look, three mid-Atlantic kids, man. They're chill. I like them. I like it. It's a good vibe because there's no vibe to be had. No, we don't have, we have no identity. No. <laughs> now, you don't think, I, I feel like where I'm from, like Delco, for people that know this area, Delco has a little bit of a reputation, but mostly it's now just from like Tina Fey and they shot that Kate Winslet mayor of, yeah, mayor of whatever, Easttown mayor of Easttown. They shot that in Marcus Hook, where like right near where I grew up. So that was, you know, that was about it. That's all we got. That's all. I, congratulations. Well, I, I, I live in D.C. And, and yeah, my kids, I don't know. I have no idea what they're going to be when they grow up. I don't know what the attitude of a D.C. person is. No, oh. I my my oldest, who's I have two kids. My oldest, who's 11, is uh, loves to draw, loves art. At 11 now, her dream is to be an animator. So who knows? My six year old. Well done. You know, I've told them they can be anything they want except a lawyer. <laughs> My mother was a lawyer, and she told me I could I could be only a lawyer. That's oh. what she, that's yeah. So she went the exact opposite direction. Yeah, so, and see well, what happened to me. So you'll get a bunch of lawyers out of you. Yeah, I my parents didn't say I had. I mean, my dad's an HVAC mechanic, and my mom's like a billing person at a dermatology practice. And they 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 didn't say you know they said we could do whatever. But um, yeah, I've told my kids just please don't please don't practice law. <laughs> It's just so stressful. It's just so stressful. But I guess everything is when it comes right down to it, you know. Well, I'm married to an attorney. I'm, I live that stress every day. I understand. 
it's always like something's on fire. Something's always on fire. Yeah, that's I, I just, you know, I don't know what anybody else's job is like. I mean, I've been an attorney for 18 years now. And uh, uh, but, you know, just a job where there's just so many you know deadlines. I guess it's a bit like a writer or, or something else. But no, it's nothing like it. I mean, at least <laughs> from my experience of my wife. Because because I, I mean, Chris Rock has that great line, right? Like, if you you know, are you happy when you get off to work? Or are you pissed because you you need more to do? I'm pissed when I have to stop working. Yeah. My wife is never pissed when she stops working. Oh no, <laughs> no, no! I'm 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 always happy when the day ends, and I because it's just it just you know we're a very we're a small practice, but we're we're very busy. All right, let's take a quick break. What? Sam Hill is happening right now. What is that? Yeah, what eagle? You like bards? Yeah, what eagle? Oh, you like band of bards. It's not my fault, you mumble. That makes sense. They're dropping some great new series right now. There's that one about a heavy metal guitarist in the 1970s with monsters, working class wizards. You know how we love monsters around here. And my friend Dakota Brown, he's working on a project, uh, Grandma Tilly's Hell Tech Mech with Lane Lloyd. I saw the preview for that. That is crazy. Jimmy even contributed to their anthology from the static and had Matt Sumo on the podcast to talk about his project, The Bardic Verses, which makes a lot of sense that the project landed there. Where can you find them? You need to get out more. They are in previews or you can visit their website, bandabars.com for all the latest. Can we turn the music off now? Thank you. No more surprises, minstrels or anything like that, or I'll rent you out to the Ren Fair as a children's ride. Let's get back to the show. Well, I, I just wanted to ask you, and I know I brought it up earlier, but uh, your novel, A Once Crowded Sky. Oh, my God. I know. I know. You wrote I'm Sorry in it when I, I had you sign it in Baltimore. But is that I mean, is that a bit? Is that a bit or is that really how you feel about it? No, no, I, I, uh, well, when I look at that book, I look at me learning how to write. It's like, I can see me, I'm, I'm trying this technique. I'm trying that technique. It's all sorts of experimental. Um, I'm using, I mean, that book has pictures, it has comic book scripts in it. It has, um, it's over, like, sometimes the prose is really purpley. Sometimes it's really stripped down. Uh, it's just me, like, trying every, just throwing all the spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. So some of the spaghetti, I'm like, holy shit, that stuck really well. And some of it, I'm like, oh man, that fell right to the floor. So, so, so there are pages I love and pages I don't. That's, that, that's kind of how I feel, feel about the whole thing. I mean, I love giving it the concept. Oh my, it was, that was a good concept. Like, I wish I had executed a little better. I, the, the actual, the concept. Well, I mean, I really liked it and it was, I had gotten it, a while ago and it was on my to be read pile and I was like I, I gotta read this but it, I had an interesting experience where I had gotten through like half of Danger Street and then I read the whole novel in like two or three <laughs> days I was wow. and then I read the second half of Danger Street and it was just an odd just thinking about you know something you had done I mean, when was that published in like 2012 2013 yeah, 2012, and Danger Street you know 10 years later I just I had a very odd uh, as a Tom King fan experience, like thinking about both a once crowded sky and then Danger Street. Um, uh, you know, and I enjoyed both of them for different reasons. But I was, you know, kind of looking at, you know, that that arc, that line, and any connective tissue between the two. 
Um, yeah, I mean, that book was written before I had kids, and now I've got a kid in the ninth grade. So that's, I mean, it's, I'm a totally different human being than when I, wrote, when I wrote that book. But I'm still obsessed with the same things, and I still do the same sort of little literary tricks nobody notices. Like that book, it starts with the word a man and ends with the word gods. Like it has shit like that that nobody fucking cares about that I did. Um, <laughs> and uh, and it's doing that dance I love, which is, you know, trying to combine this high literary whatever with sort of, you know, this low, what for lack of a better word, low art, you know, combining those two things to make them dance and sing. You know, that, that's still what I love to do. So I, I haven't changed on, on some levels. Uh, hopefully I've gotten a little better on some of them. Is there ever a character like that you think of from like a once crowded sky? If you ever going to revisit and say, I could do something with this. Like I could take penultimate or I could take soldier or stealth or strength. I mean, and, and do something with them, like ever revisit it or like, is that now I did that. That was the thing I did. And that's where that oh, is. No. Absolutely. I am notoriously bad at naming characters. I'm terrible at it. Like naming new care and launching new characters. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, until Trinity, which is kind of hitting a little bit. Uh, but I mean, that's kind of almost cheating because Wonder Woman's daughter, you know, like who's going to ignore that? Like, and no one, no one cares about Gotham Girl. I kind of like Viv Vision kind of survived. But like, I, for people who don't know, it's, it's, the the book is about um, a sidekick to the super, to a Superman character, and I love what I named them. So I named the Superman character Ultimate, and then I named the sidekick Penultimate, which I thought was so, which I still think yeah. is, I still think <laughs> yeah. is cool. Penultimate people, the Penultimate means like second best. And so, like, he has to live yeah. his whole life in the guy's shadow, and even his superhero name means second best. Um, so yeah, I, I and then so, soldier of uh, he was soldier of freedom. So instead of soldier of fortune, he was soldier of freedom, which I think is yeah. a cool title. And uh, yeah, no, I, I I I love those characters. I like their origin stories. Like soldier has an awesome origin story where he fought in every. He's like Captain America, but instead of fighting in one war and then getting frozen towards today, he fought in every war and just got frozen between the wars. So he just lived like eighteen years of all of America's wars until he kind of got woken up. Um, so he's like, he just, you know, he, he just rolled over. He's like, okay, Korea's done. Blink, Vietnam starts. Blink, you're in the Gulf. Yeah, so yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love the origins and I love the character names and, and I'd like to go back. Again, I, the concept, people don't know the concept. The concept's super cool. I'm fucking complimenting myself, but... Uh, <laughs> Who came up with that? Oh, you did that. Yeah, I did. Well, uh, no, but it's, you look back, yeah. and you're like, oh, that was a shitty. I mean, there's there's some stupid shit in there, and I've I've thought of it is ideas. it is a, it is it is a cool concept. Uh, but, they they have to take everybody's powers in order to save the universe, and now everybody but penultimate uh, they, they don't have powers anymore, and they essentially are trying to figure out how do they live, how do they live yeah. now, and then the, the story you know, takes off from there. And it's told in a wonderful fashion, like it's a comic book crossover event. Yes. Like the, the chapters, I guess you would call them, are essentially like, you know, a Soldier of Freedom, number 367. Yeah. Um, so you get all those different perspectives. Um, yeah, I, it's great. I think it's great. I loved it. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, like I said, I like things about it. But yeah, that's, I like, I mean, obviously it's a theme I've been playing with, but the idea of, a whole society of people who used to be great and now they're not. And how do they live their lives and what happens next? I think is, I don't know. That's it's, it's a cool metaphor for some of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, and you know, with Helen of Windhorn and, you know, animal pound and uh, penguin uh, penguins. Great. By the way, that's another one where the captions, at least issue one, you know, kind of show different 
perspectives. Everyone's telling kind of like uh, their their different story and their interactions with Oswald, which I really like. I like that as well. But um, yeah, we, we did something unique in that book where everybody everybody can tell the story. A waiter can tell the story. Batman can tell the story. A fucking dog can tell the story, but Penguin can't tell the story. So it's everyone's perspective on the story except Cobblepot. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, it's like you're hitting. Yeah, so I, I like that. Again, just trying to trying to find someone to make those narration captures. Uh, so I mean, all of these things. I, I assume they all seem to be coming out like right now. But like with Helen of Windhorn, that was done like two years ago. Um, so are you still, are there other things coming that you're working on? Are you focusing more on, you know, like Hollywood type stuff, like movie scripts or what's, um, what's kind of on the horizon that you can talk about? Yeah. I mean, dur- during the pandemic, I got way far ahead and I started writing books all together, which was making me way for like danger street was written, you know, years and years ago. And I wrote all 12 issues at, before Jorge had started drawing issue one. I I'd finished issue 12. Um, and that oh, that's wow. that's true for Human Target. That's true for Supergirl, Rorschach, um, Gotham Year One. Uh, well, it's a little bit true. Strange Adventures. So so I, I kind of, so I got way ahead. So a lot of things are coming out that I've written a long time ago, and that's true for Helen of Windhorn, which I wrote right after Supergirl. So when I say it's like the writer of Supergirl, even if you're like, man, Tom, you knew how to write when you wrote Supergirl, but since then you fucking forgot. It's it's the old Tom who wrote this one. I, I wrote this a while back, and I, I wrote it. I wrote it straight um so that's been done for a while then uh yeah about a year ago hollywood hit me hard um and i got off that schedule and kind of got skidded off of it um and just yeah and i'm doing a ton of hollywood stuff all the time now uh so I, I'm, I'm trying to keep ahead of my deadlines it's more of a scramble <laughs> like it was when i was on batman um working on penguin and working on wonder woman uh and and the other like 62 other books i'm always I think I did some count the other day. And it's like between, you know, tr- trying to promote the last trade and trying to pitch the next book. I think it was like some like 13 books I'm working on. It It was in the oh, double wow. digit. It was crazy, but it was a lot. I've read interviews with you before and, and, you know, um, your earlier days as a comic book writer and, you know, with your kids when they were younger, like now that, you know, you have three kids now that they've gotten older, has your schedule like, change like when how do you like where do you still find the time to balance all those things and uh you know now balance hollywood things and um and i guess how long does it take you to like write an issue i'm kind of curious i do an issue a week um i i'm i'm addicted to writing like some people um are addicted to alcohol uh, and if i get to, if i get to friday and i have not turned in a script i feel itchy i feel yucky i feel like i don't know like, like i cheated on a diet you know like that kind of feeling um where you just you, you worked all week to work hard and you just had a like a bowl full of ice cream you're like why the fuck yeah so like i i have to turn in a script on friday night or i just know i'll feel terrible um yeah i, I start on monday and go through friday every single week oh um, wow now that that schedule is kind of messed up because of Hollywood. Hollywood doesn't work on, of course, finishing issues like that. So sometimes, like just this week, I'm finishing up. I, you know, I'll start half an issue, and then Hollywood will, will come in and be like, "Tom, we need this whatever this week," and suddenly I have to just stop my whole schedule and start doing Hollywood crap. So um, it's not as regular as it used to be. Um, but yeah, yeah, gen- generally it takes me about a week to write a script. I write Monday through Thursday, whatever I'm finishing. 
gets finished Thursday. I don't care if I have to stay up till three in the morning, like the last period on page 24 will be done. And then Fridays are for editing. I edit on, I spend all day on Friday editing and then it gets turned in that night. Oh. And that's, uh, wow. that's, that's, that's how it works. Now I'm, I'm probably what's changing. My kids got older. I mean, COVID hit that changed everything obviously for everyone. Um, but that's when I sort of solidified my schedule of, of a week per issue. Um, and got more disciplined. Um, and yeah, I'm, when, when kids are young, you have lots of challenges. I'm sure, you know, with young kids, uh, and then because you're changing diapers and this and that, and then kids get older, you have different sort of things that suck your time. You know, you have to go to parent teacher conferences. You have to, you know, to go to soccer games and, uh, you have to help them more with their homework, uh, or help them, you know, just remember to do their homework, whatever. It is. <laughs> so yeah, I still have three kids. They're all at home and I have my dog. She's, takes as much time for me as my kids do probably more it's it's yeah. a busy it's a it's a busy fucking day and schedule yeah it's it sounds like it i i i i try to maintain like i you know if i wanted to write something i'm just like i have the worst time trying to be disciplined about it like i don't know how folks work like who don't do it full-time and like have a full-time job and then like write at night or like right on the weekends. Like, I don't know how folks like manage that and uh, work that schedule. It's just, it's one of the reasons I like to do this and talk about comics and get people into the comic shops and get people buying comics. Cause I just, I'm, I don't know. Yeah. It's just cause I'm, maybe I'm so impressed by it. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, that, I mean, once crowd sky was written on this crazy schedule I came up with, um, you know, I, I was in CIA. I decided to take a year off to become a writer, which is a stupid thing to do. I was 30 years old. And um, but I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't just do that. We just had our kids. So my, my deal I made with, with my wife was like, we don't have to get daycare. I'll take care of the kid and we'll have that money. Um, so I took care of the kid during the day and there was, I, I was taking care of young kids. And then my daughter was born right after my kids are really close together. So there's just, there wasn't time to write during the day. So what I decided was I write between midnight and three every night, those three hours. Um, and then I would wake up, you know, my wife would take the kids until she went to work. So, so I, I'd had, I'd wake up around eight. So I'd get four or five hours of sleep. And, and then, and that was, you know, five days. Of, I, I would just, you know, put the kids to sleep, work out. It'd be midnight. I'd go upstairs and be like, all right, I'm I'm writing until three in the morning. And that was, that's how I wrote my first novel, midnight to three. I was so good. And now you would sleep when the kids sleep, when they took a nap, you just pass out. <laughs> yeah. So it's, that doesn't work once they hit like three and they're not napping anymore. You're like, please nap. You're like, please, yeah. I need these hours. That's like the advice uh, I always give somebody when they're a new parent. They're like, what advice do you have? I'm like, nap when they nap. Nap when they nap. Rule number one. Nap when it they is, nap. Um, it is, it is rule oh, well, Tom, I don't want to take up uh, any more of your time. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Everybody, listeners, Helena Windhorn, Dark Horse Comics, Tom, and uh, Bill was Evely. Uh, March 13th, 2024. Uh, go out and get it. I loved it. Fantasy. And um, yeah, it's it's just phenomenal. And I really like the 1930s like aesthetic. It reminds me of, you know, I love that kind of uh, Road to Perdition, The Sting, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Just like the look of something set in the 30s, I think is fantastic. So I love living in that era. It's, you know, if, if I go to relax, I'm, I'm watching old, you know, TCM movies. That's where I kind of go to just so that, that was my rule. I was like, you can't, because I was like, how, how what, do they say fuck back then? You know, I was like, no, just don't say anything that would, wouldn't be in a movie. So I, I, try, I try to keep the vocabulary. Yeah, I, I love that era. It's, it's, um, 
And I, I love that, like, sort of, you know, that, like, that, like, po post-depression when you're just like, you got to do what you got to do to get by, you know, and, and that idea of sort of Mer American improvisation. I mean, comic books themselves were sort of born out of that, like, got to do what you got to do to survive was, was how comic books, oh, shit, you're going to pay me to do this little art? I'll do it. Just I got to right. feed my family. So, yeah, I, I love I love that stuff. Yeah. Um. So I think everyone should get it. Pick it up. It's really fantastic. And Tom, uh, again, just uh, this has been great for me because uh, I I'm a, a huge fan of your work, and I know I've said that already. And I I think I've read almost not everything, but almost if we've read my fucking novel, you've gone all the way. You, you, you I, I've I even read uh, it's full of demons from Time Warp, so I get extra credit points. <laughs> oh, that's the first thing I ever published. Wait, that's actually good. That one I'm not going to apologize for. Tom Fowler on art. That's good. I like that one. Um, and look, I've I've uh, met you a few times. You know, at Baltimore Comic Con. I think you came to Philly once. I think you were at Fat Jack's Comic Crypt. But um, you're always so you know gracious, gracious. Uh, with your fans. And um, th this past year, I had given you because I had a short uh, story published in an anthology uh, called "From the Static" from Band of Bards, and I gave it to you, and you were that very was gracious. You? Yeah, shit, that well was me. Done. Well <laughs> done. That was me. Um, but you were very. Right, you're, two, I'm not a very bright man, so I'm putting two, two no, together. It's, it's fine. You were very, you were very kind about it, and I felt a little silly doing it. But then I had read an Never. interview where you gave Never. a copy of your book to Scott Snyder. So I, I did. I gave man. a copy to Scott. We had two hours in line to meet that motherfucker. I'm sure he threw it in the trash, but very nice. Yeah. No, I, 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 I did. So can I tell you one last stupid story about yeah. that, and then we can go about Absolutely. being a struggling writer. So um, I, I used to do that. I used to go to Comic Cons, so many Comic Cons to um, both sell my book at my booth, you know, like trying to get people into a new car, be like, hey, how can I get you to read this novel? And I would also go and wait in line for people I like um, and go to their booth. I, I had a rule. I'd always buy something from the booth. I'd buy a poster or whatever, and then I would give them a free copy of my book. Um, and I did this, and they were like preview copies. I would go around, and there was a comic book creator there. Um, uh, I, I don't know what the word is, but uh, not not someone active today. Someone who 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 had uh, who'd done some legendary stuff. And I okay. gave them a copy of my book, and I, I bought something from their table. And I said, if you know, I just I just want you to have this, and you know, my numbers in it, just like everyone does, which I think is an awesome thing. And um, I I go home, and I get like a, someone tells me, oh, your first review ever is up on Goodreads. I was like, oh my god, I'm. I'm CIA. I've never, no one has ever read my book and written a review of it. It's the first time anyone has read my, and I'm like, I was incredibly excited. And I, yeah. and, and, and I went to look and it was, it was this legendary comic book creator and, and they fuck, and it was the first Goodreads review and they fucking trashed it. <laughs> uh, I, was like, I was like, I gave you that book for free. I bought something from your booth. I'm not saying you gotta love it. I'm not saying you gotta read it, but you don't gotta go on the internet and fucking talk shit about it. Like that's just keep your mouth shut or tell your tell your wife, tell your mother. I don't care. You don't have to tell the world. Uh anyway, just one. That was the start of my career, my first year. Wow. Well, that's awesome. And I'm sorry that happened to you. And um if you if you ever happen to read the story that I wrote in that anthology. Don't, you do not have to go I'm on the internet and say anything about it. I'm going online. So, well, but again, thank you uh, very much. And I'll probably run into you if you're at Baltimore Comic Con again. Absolutely. I can't wait to see you. Shout out to Baltimore. And anytime you want to come back 
please, uh, you know, talk about comics or Turner classic movies, uh, what, whatever it is. Uh, really appreciate your time. And listeners, uh, go get Helena Windhorn. It's absolutely fantastic. And, um, you know, especially if you like Supergirl, uh, which is is phenomenal. And again, my own personal plug for my favorite is uh, Mr. Miracle, which I, I just think is just one of the best things I've ever read. And I recommend it to everybody. It has a very special place in my heart. And it is what made me want to take take a shot at 40 years old and trying to write the comic script. And, you know, I've had I've had like four or five, like just short little things published that I eke out on the on the weekends in between work. I'm but working uh, hard. I thought you were afraid here. You are trying to take my job from me. Now I get no. it. Oh, I see where this is going. Not not at all. But it's just I don't know. Well, I, congratulations, you know, man. That's the best thing. That's you, awesome. You get to a point sometimes and you have your job. Like I said, I've been an attorney for 18 years and you just want, you know, something else. And I just uh I get it. just for me. And maybe it. so my kids can see that I do something else. And um yeah, so uh, a, a lot of that I I just um, was uh, very encouraged by you know your writing and it it made me want to try my hand at something. So I'm just a big fan and uh, thank you and all the listeners have probably turned off by now, but um, I really <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> all right, for Comic Book Yeti, I'm one of your hosts, Jimmy Gasparro, and uh, we've been an evening with Tom King. Uh, so get Helen to Windhorn March 13th. 2024 and um you know once you get it come on uh find me on tiktok or twitter or wherever i am and let me know how much you liked it because i know you will all right thanks for listening oh uh shout out to my brother bobby the cryptic creator corner's number one most dedicated fan he goes with me to baltimore comic-con he listens to all my episodes and he was very excited that i was getting to talk to you tonight so thanks bobby for listening thanks and bobby i appreciate it everybody else i'll see you next time this is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.